Good afternoon, good evening, good metal. My name's Coop and welcome to the Spoken Metal Show. This episode is with Rob Howey, great friend of mine, known a long time when we cover all the things that you'd want to you'd want to talk to Rob about, multipurpose chemical, moving through into comedy and the parallels with music and comedy, and then limb, coming back and, and doing and doing limb. And then movies and filmmaking and everything in between as well. Really, really great conversation encapsulates everything that I want to do with this show. We laugh a lot. We talk very candidly about 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 our the, the successes and failures and the things that we got right and things we get get wrong. And I hope it acts as something of a, a, a positive experience and something that you think, well, you know, I'm going to try some things. I'm going to try and get out of my comfort zone and do things that challenge me. I hope that really that's what you get from a lot of these these shows, and I hope it's interesting. But moreover, you I hope you laugh. I hope you you enjoy it because I think Rob's story is is fantastic and really inspirational as well. So let's get right into it. This is uh, the first chat of, of I would assume many with uh, the fantastic Rob Howie. It's only fucking Rob Howie finally on the Spoken Metal Show. Thank fucking God we finally get the time. Thank you so much, Mister Rob Howie. Welcome to the show, mate. Thanks very much for having me, man. It's been an age since we last spoke. Jesus, I said we. The last time we spoke was, a, a, I think, the Limb Show in uh, in Liverpool, wasn't it? And we were planning to meet up again when you played in Manchester, which would have been, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, uh, ago or something like that. Like that was a, the next time we were planning. And then obviously the world, you know, dissolved into this like crazy virus. Are you doing okay, mate? Yeah. Yeah. Just Is- bonkers, man. Yeah, it's it's a weird it's a weird time, um, and certainly like those that I would have done an intro, but those that don't don't know Rob is Rob does everything. So normally when you put like Rob is a vocalist and da 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 da, Rob does everything. He's an incredibly busy, uh, busy man, and he always has been ever since we first kind of met. Always been that guy um, that is constantly doing. What's the next thing? What's the next thing? What's the next thing? And uh, I found it really inspirational when I was trying to learn to do my shit. And hopefully over the course of the seven hours that this podcast will probably take, um, we'll, we'll go through some stuff. I mean, where to, where the hell do we start? We just spent like half an hour catching up um, and the other half an hour trying to fix this. Where, where do we even start? If you can hear police choppers in the background, I'm not on the lam. I'm not like on the run. I'm in my studio right now. And what's happening is... The doors are open, so I can get reception for the interview. But yeah, you're going to hear some birds and police. Uh, there's nothing. I'm not like in a ditch. I don't live in a which, ditch. Which the worst part of that is that is exactly someone who was on the run would say, "No, pay no attention to the flashing lights. I'm definitely not surrounded by the police. Definitely not. Definitely not." Uh, yeah, oh, I, was in Liverpool. I left Liverpool. I just one day I just left. So there will be people. I mean, you might know people that listen to the go. <laughs> I'll say Rob Hoey, and they'll be like, he's definitely on the run. Isn't he in prison? (laughs) (laughs) Well, we clear all names today. Today we exonerate. We'll call this podcast the exoneration of Rob Hoey. We'll call that. That's what this podcast will be. (laughs) Oh, my God. I'm so down, man. (laughs) (laughs) So where, I mean, where to start? I mean, I suppose we'll do it like we do most of them, where we talk about the first music you hear when you're growing up what's the first thing that you remember hearing be it not metal anything well it's really interesting man my dad kind of listened to kind of like um you know like proto metal really like so when i was growing up my dad's record collection was like he listened to a lot of stuff like yes and, and uh can 
and King Crimson and that type of thing. Well, kind of, man. Kind of prog, but he also liked a bit. He was like kraut rocky kind of prog. And he also, yeah. my dad, my dad, my dad used to do lighting at a place called the White Bear in Hounslow, which is near Slough. And when, uh, like, when when Rick Wakeman was like playing there and stuff, my dad used to do lighting like on and off, just yeah. like for Rick Wakeman and Yes. And all these like mad acts to come through. So he just used to like, so as I was growing up and I was like, oh, dad, you know, like roundabout by yes, it's incredible. But I was like, yeah, you know, and he's quite a calm guy. He's like quite a dad, like dad, dad, like he's nearly 70. And he was like, yeah, you know, I, uh, I once had, I once had some, ate some opium cake with Rick Waitman. And I'm like, <laughs> like, why is this a casual story? Like, why? This is crazy, man. Like, it's so I'd be like, actually, every I'll single like person I've ever met, you know, I've done you know uh so it's really interesting like he's uh so his his record his record collection probably, actually do you know what thinking about it he'll probably hate the fact i told the universe that i don't care uh so but he yeah he had, he had a mad record collection man and he had some sabbath in there and stuff so, at thin lizzy so growing up i just kind of it was just there and i actually yeah. rejected it i actually rejected it for a long time because i got to about the age of 17 and went okay what well, i'm gonna listen to my dad's music exactly. and because of that i went straight to like about the age of 13 14 i probably went to like the extreme like i found noisy mothers on yeah. um that comes up a lot but for, for british inter- people on, on interview he's a great guy um and still does you know presents a lot of shows and stuff yeah yeah and he's he, so i kind of found that and then and then through that just started instantly listening to like obituary or something yeah. so it started out heavy you know well, it started happened, out it? heavy I just... the, 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 you kind of find that in order to rebel if you will against your parents you either completely go away from their music so if they're into rock you move to pop and it, it's it or you go more extreme you go okay your parents are into iron Maiden. well i'm going to go and make it even worse i'm going to get into uh you know like you say obituary and cannibal corpse and i'm going to go and i'm just going to take it even more you just want the extreme of whatever they're listening too you know you don't want to listen to exactly the same thing and then it's funny you come all the way back and realize that the stuff that they were listening to was was great anyway you know to did you go to hold on a second there Coop. Yeah. i'm just going to move outside for a second because i think it gets it gets a, it gets a better reception from <laughs> I'm moving outside because we need a reception here because I'm losing you a bit. There you go. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's that like you're really actually outside. You actually are outside. It's off outside broadcast. Um, yeah. <laughs> so did you go to shows with your dad then? If he was uh, if he was a lampy and doing lights and stuff like that, did you go to shows? You remember doing that early on? Not really, man. Like, my dad, by that point, had kind of just kind of calmed down in, into being a dad. My yeah. first shows were like, I'm trying to think of my first shows. Uh, first shows, first shows. I went to, I went into Donington in 95. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was like, white zombie, corrosion conformity. Was slashes. that Escape, Escape from the Studio, Metallica? Was it that one? I think so, man. I think it was I that know, one. Was yeah. it like, yeah, yeah. Therapy. Yeah. That kind of stuff. Yeah. And that was a mad, that was a mad show, like, for a young person to watch. Again, Crusher was the guy who was, um, mm. who was sort of, uh, 
emceeing the whole thing. Mm. So uh, we've got a blackbird somewhere tweeting. Sorry, everybody. That's awesome. That's awesome. It will, I'll send some paperwork over. You can sign it off and we can have them on the show. It's, <laughs> I remember that show because that was the last show that um, Crusher, for those that don't know, Crusher's like kind of almost the John Peel of metal, if you will. And yeah, yeah. he had a little dog. And his dog was called Bullseye, and the, the first show uh, that Bullseye ever went to was Motorhead in Brighton. But the show you're talking about was was he was he was obviously ill, uh, Bullseye, and it was the last show he did. And the entire crowd shouted "Bye bye Bullseye" to him. I remember, like, so this is proper knowledge, man. I love this because this is like, <laughs> this is so like that's going to bring us together because that's such a weird anecdote. I love that. Well, it's like um, I, I've been trying to get on Crush on the show for a long time uh, because he was the like yourself. I watched Noisy Mothers and seen the Cosmic Couch and all that type of thing. I watched all these videos and uh, and then it went into Raw Power, and that was my kind of like we didn't have the internet. That was my MTV was was Noisy Mothers um, and that type of thing, and that started me me off on 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 my path with yourself. Then you're going to these shows. How long does it go before you go right? Well. I need to make that noise as well, and you pick up an instrument because, for those that don't know, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Rob is a guitar player. Uh, that's a, one of his instruments of choice. So, when did that happen? When did you go? I want to make my own noise. Oh, well, it's kind of like I remember being about—I guess I was about fourteen or something—and my parents bought me this like really shit, like Hona Rockwood LX90. I pretended like I'd forgotten what it was called then, but I didn't know. <laughs> yeah. uh, go and get it. Go and get it. <laughs> so I cared totally. I was pretending to scratch my head then, which you won't be able to see. But, uh, I can remember. Exactly what it was. And it was weird, man. Back in the day, right? So, like, nowadays, kids, when you meet kids who are, like, learning, they get all this, you know, it's like, I want an orange. Like just there's so much in there's so much there's so many companies out there now and even the smaller companies the kind of well not even smaller but like the lower end companies have to produce something usable so like the pickups now are wound in such a way that like you can rock out for a couple of hundred quid back in the day there was none of that like the cheap guitars were cheap guitars you the know build quality there was no there was no uh, craftsmanship to it they literally just like a couple of bits of wood and some strings like. Now you can buy a very serviceable guitar, like a completely tourable and usable guitar for like sub 200 pounds. You know, it's, it's ridiculous. You know, the, the value that's out there, you know? Yeah. So I, so my parents bought me this Hona Rockwood thing for my birthday and I had that and a tiny little HH amp with like a little tiny, like five, you know, I don't know, like five inch speaker in it or something. Yeah. And it was all rubbish. And, the weird thing about them was the passion just saw me through because I quite yeah. easily have gone, this doesn't sound like the thing I want to do, you know? Yeah. Um, so I guess about 14, and I kind of played my gig at about sort of 15 and a half or something. Like okay. absolutely unprepared, absolutely yeah. unprepared. But just <laughs> the spirit saw me through, man. Yeah. Uh, in the early days of multi-purpose chemical, that's exactly what we were, we were like in our 20s at that point, and Andreas and I still had that same spirit where it was like we didn't have, um, we didn't we didn't actually have the know-how. Yeah. Well, it's not I could play. Never been in a band, so we were just eking through on like just kind of pure energy. Just just like yeah. I will make I will I will perform. It was momentum, wasn't it? I mean, for for me, like 
So, ladies and gentlemen, for those who don't know, and I will put links on on, on the podcast. Rob's was was Multipurpose wasn't the first band, was it? Was it the first band you were in? Multipurpose Chemical. It wasn't the first. I mean, it was the first. It was the first actual band. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like school stuff, and yeah, you know, nothing, nothing of any interest. It was the first album I released professionally released material with so yeah when it was it felt like a, a thing like a complete thing so for for those that don't know like so rob's kind of first endeavor was with a band called multi-purpose chemical and around that time they were one of we as a that was a local band to us that had, had effectively made it big if you if you will for us so a lot of the other bands would look at mr hoey and and, and the lads and be like that's our horse like that's if they can make it then we can make it you were often seen as the people that were kind of like uh, just a little bit ahead of where it was from everything from an entertainment point of view from a songwriting point of view everything and so i remember going to see one of the first multi-chemical shows and it was the first time I, now this is is do rigueur this is done all the time now but it was the first time i saw someone do this they uh, made the crowd sit on the floor and um, and then jump up and down and now that sounds, that sounds like a very obvious thing now. That happens at every show you ever go to now. But at the time, there was a real interaction. And I felt that, I think I'll, I'll speak for a lot of people here, um, that we, th- we thought that Multipurpose was genuinely doing something different and something interesting. It felt like when System of a Down first came out and it was like, oh, we thought we'd heard what Rock had said. We genuinely, a lot of people I like, said that you were going to be on the show. They, they, they express real um, sentimentality for multi-purpose, like in a really nice way. But I think you're right that a lot of what carried the, the was momentum, you know, the sheer kind of will of it. But they, you were a great band. I don't know if anybody's ever properly told you this, Rob, but that was multi-purpose chemical, a great band, you know. And 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 I want you to know that. And I still listen every so often <laughs> to, to "Hate Magnet," which I think is a fabulous song, by the way. Um, so when you started out with, with, with multi-purpose, it, there was no real plan to be anything other than a band, it seems like, because you kind of mix genres a little bit as well. I mean, we didn't, have an, we didn't even, to be completely honest, man, we didn't even have a plan to be a band. I, I met Andreas. We were, we were teaching theatre in Italy. So finished, I finished drama school and he finished drama school at the same time. Him yeah. in the US, in the UK. And then he came to, I was in London one day and my agent called me and said, uh, hey, you should get down to Sloan Square in London. They're doing this rehearsal. Uh, sorry, this audition for, um, for, the, for this teaching job out in Italy. And I was like, okay, have you not got anything in the UK? And they were like, no, you should go there. <laughs> I was like, wow, thanks for the vote of confidence. <laughs> off I went and Andreas was there, man. And we just hit it off. Like, straight away, hit it off. Went for a couple of beers. Next day we get a call. Hey, you know, this is like a Sunday afternoon. Hey, on tomorrow afternoon, I'm going to fly you out to Italy and you're going to go and be there for a year and teach kids together. So we're like, okay, cool. So Andreas and I forged this mad friendship like across a year just in Italy teaching kids. And at the end of it all, he said, right, that's me, man. Like I'm going back to, you know, America. And I said, look, why don't you come to the UK? We'll do the band thing. Like I can play. I've got gear. Let's let's get it together. And we just had this mad adventure, you know, but the plan was never, the plan was kind of a band, but we had no real experience of being in a band. He certainly had no experience of being in a band. And um, so the, the, the cool thing about MPC uh, was that we, 
the cool thing about that is that it was all about entertainment from the ground up. It was yeah. never about like, oh, do this, do that. You know, like this is the way to do stuff. Mm. We weren't listening to anybody. There was no blueprint. And that was kind of cool. Like when I think about the bands I'm in now and the bands I've done since, you know, you kind of, there's not a blueprint, but there's certainly like, you take this to a producer, the producer does X, you write the track, da 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 NPC, there was none of that. It was all just pure, unadulterated, like, we need yeah. to entertain people. Let's yeah. just go and do it. And it was yeah. great, man. I think, I think that really came across. It did. It did. I mean, I remember every time, there was just a noticeable difference. There'd be like four or five metal bands on, um, some playing like used Metallica riffs and whatever, and then you guys would come on, and there'd be a noticeable like, you know, levity as well. There'd be like comedy within what was going on and self-depreciating humor and stuff. And I remember thinking these are, it feels more developed. It feels more matured, if you will. It feels like it's good. And then, you, you know, the, the way, when you first sort of released that album, I think everybody, certainly in the local area, bought Kerrang to see what reviews were going on and to see what, because you, you were one of us who were like kind of doing well. We, it was one of us. It was from, from it was a, it was a route to, to fame, if you will. So, how did the first sort of album come about then? Because that was, was that the one with, uh, did Ace produce that, yeah? That was the only album, man. We only released uh, yeah, one album. Yeah, yeah. And was that Ace then? Oh. Ace from Skunk produced Ace that? Ace from Skunk produced yeah. it, man. And it, it was such a, I mean, well, actually he produced this, he produced a single for us. Right. Um, and then we went back into the album. But it was just a mad, it was just a mad time. When you're four guys, I mean, we were living, we were living in Liverpool. We had no money, like no money whatsoever. And I don't mean, I just mean not a penny between us, you know? Yeah. And um, we, yeah. And, and then all of a sudden these guys came along and they're called Honey Records. Um, and one of them was Keith Mullin from The Farm. Yeah. Like a guitar player from The Farm. And it was really, it was, it was just a, you know, it was just a mad time. So these guys, Matt and Keith, came to us and said, look, you know, we really like what you do. We want to put an album together. And for us, again, it was like, it was a complete step into the unknown. And it was such an exciting time. Like, we were in our 20s, but we had no plan. So mm. these two guys were like, hey, we're going to do this thing for you. And all of a sudden, this thing was a reality. You know, this thing was an absolute reality. Um, it was kind of a weird... It was kind of a weird... I don't know. It was kind of a weird jumping-off point, man. Like, Liverpool to us as well was was incredible. Liverpool to us wasn't... Like, the, the people there... It was really embraced us, you know? Mm. And Liverpool, at the time anyway, I think had a tendency to kind of question people who weren't from Liverpool. Um, yeah, you, you had to kind of work a little bit to be accepted. We would accept you, but there had to be that you, you, you have to prove yourself. You know, there was yeah, a, yeah. a ring of fire to get through. Yeah, yeah. And it was great, man. And once the people were on board, it was just like, I still now, it's really weird. I did it. I did a show recently in Liverpool and... Well, I want to say recently, maybe maybe a couple of years ago, a year ago, a couple of years ago. Yeah. And the reviewer was so annoyed, so annoyed uh, that I was there not doing NPC stuff. <laughs> still remember, <laughs> still looking for It was just like, went to the show, expecting to see, like, this thing. And he gave, what are they, like a Doom band or something? And I was like, listen, man, it's been years. And, and also, <laughs> well, if, we were, if NPC was still hanging around doing that sound, Jesus, yeah. I think like <laughs> it's the most unpopular shit ever. You know, what was the um, what was the kind of 
what was the height of of NPC then for you? What 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 was the kind of the highest point for it? Was it the releasing of the album? Was it a particular show or a support slot or whatever? Yeah, well, I well, there's the highest point was was kind of all was the same as the low point really. Okay. The album came out, um, and it was just like so. Ian Winwood reviewed it for Kerrang and gave it one K. Yes. And slagged it so hard. Mm. And I've met Ian since. I know Ian. Yeah. And I said to him, Do you know <laughs> And he was like, Of course I don't. I review like ten albums a week. Like, yeah, what do you... yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was weird because I realized that I brought up the conversation mm. and I'm cool about it. I don't give a shit. It's been a yeah. long time. However, yeah. there was still a little part of me that wanted him to know how much yeah. that band over. Yeah, yeah. Justify yeah, what you said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At that point, Kerrang! was like the go-to place. It was. You know, it was, yeah. The go-to place. Um, it still kind of is in some ways, but it's, it was the go-to place. And I think it kind of put a bit of a fucking death nail in the coffin of NPC, really. Mm. Sad. Um, and by that point, you know, we were all kind of like getting slightly older. The album came out. Andreas had sort of moved on with his girlfriend a little bit. We still wanted to be in the band, but he was his girlfriend. Mm-hmm. I moved to Manchester and I was just a mess. I was drinking too much. I'd made a lot of bad choices. Um, and I was just kind of on the edge. I didn't really know where it was going. So I ended up just walking away from the band. And mm. I mean walking away. And literally one day to the next, I left all my clothes out oh. of Manchester and just left. Which wow. uh, is, re- you know, in hindsight, was a really shit decision. And left everyone to clear up my mess. So I, it was bad. However, in saying that, that's weirdly the high point of the band. At that point, the band were just mm. to do kind of really cool stuff. We had some gigs booked in with like, I can't remember who it was, Will Haven maybe? Oh, or yeah, okay. Yeah. American Headshot or something. Popular yeah. bands from the time. Popular yeah. bands in the era. <laughs> from that uh, second, yeah. yeah. But that's yeah, like, you know, let, let's be fair here. Let, let's, let, let's put it into some context. How old are you when you do that then? So you walk away from it, and how old are you now? Yeah. 20s. Do you know what I mean? You're just a kid. You know, you're doing it for what you conceive as being the right reasons and, you know, health, and it's not doing you any good, and you're trying to sort your life out. There's no one on the planet who wouldn't think that that's a fair way of doing it, and, you know, you might have played it differently or whatever, but ultimately I think you're probably still friends with all those people, and, you know, it's and now we can look back and, and with with hindsight and know that, you know, I'm sure, when was the last time you actually listened to the album? Or the song off it? I listen to it sometimes, man. I mean, the weird thing about the album is we kind of got lumped in slightly unfairly with a lot of things because actually um, the album sounds, when you listen to it now, it's Mm. sort of, you know, people were like, no, it's kind of new metal. It's like, it kind of, it kind of is, but it, it doesn't actually, when you listen to it, upon listening to it, it doesn't really hold up just being like another new metal band. You know, yeah, it has shades of System of a Down and Rage Against the Machine and, whatever whatever or snot is the main one that people say yeah definitely yeah 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 it kind of it kind of holds up on its own it kind of has a life i think so i think it's i went back and listened to a couple of days ago once we talked about you being on the show and it does it it sonically holds up as well which i think is really good you know like it doesn't sound rough it doesn't sound dated did you did you get a lot from working with someone like Ace? Because being a guitar player, you know, a huge fan of effects pedals and stuff like that, did you get much from him? Did you get signed under the learning tree, if you will? 
I mean, man, it was such a learning curve. And also as well, like we got we got almost too much from him. So yeah. like one day one day we were recording and I remember taking down I think by that point I was endorsed by Framus. But I remember on the first time we recorded with him on the first single, I had this really shitty Epiphone SG thing. Yeah. And it just wouldn't stay in tune. One of the pickups was broken. Like I say, we were skinned. We were so yeah, yeah. Um, and he was like, look, man, this all sounds, you know, it's fine if you want to kind of keep ham. He's like, do you want me to lend you a guitar? And I was like, okay, cool. So Gabe, he, he lent me this, this, this green SG Guild guitar. Right. And it was beautiful. So I was playing it. And then I was like, what, you know, wh- where's this from? What, what's the story? And he was like, Kim Tyel gave me that. That's a <laughs> he used to record uh, Super Unknown. <laughs> I was like, Ah, okay. This is like my yeah, the, the guy from Soundgarden's guitar I've got now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Channeling that stuff, man. You know, on the first album, I think we turned up with like probably some shitty amp and some shitty guitars. Yeah. He was like, he brought in his like triple, you know, Mesa Boogie head and lent me guitars just for the duration, and it was cool. Yeah. Man. Yeah, he was so, I, I, so, I've met so, him so a few times, and and he he's always struck me as being you know super nice guy. Um, I'm a real kind of champion for the underdog and and new bands and new musicians as well, and not just from a sonic point of view and playing of which he does. I think he has an academy now, but also in how to act as a as a band and how to act as a musician and and, and appear professional. You know, and that must have put quite a few seeds in, um, ready for you know the next sort of part of what you were going to do. Well, he's so interesting, man, because he's so like um, he's so he's weirdly so about musicians. Mm. You know, like he's an amazing he's an amazing songwriter. Yeah, he's an amazing yeah. songwriter. But he's so about he's so about nurturing people. Mm-hmm. He's such a lovely bloke. He's such a nice. I mean, there's nothing else to say about him really. He just is yeah. such a nice guy, and he and he has the patience of a really good producer. That's one of his strong real key in it. Yeah, yeah. Just so keen for you to do well, you know. And like, they, they, I mean, I think, I think if 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 we'd have gone with someone else, there's a good chance that after the first recording session, that he might have just, they might have just gone. These guys are like, kind of jackasses, you know. Yeah. yeah. Even with even with some of the stuff that we were doing, I remember him just frowning a bit and being like, "Are you sure you want to do that on your album?" You know, like we put some really mm. weird moments on the album. Um, are you sure you want to do that? And we were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is kind of what we're about. And then eventually he was like, I- okay. And then he sort of ramped the weirdness up. So mm-hmm. he's really like, you know, Lent into he's, it. He's, yeah. Yeah. Just like, just such, Ace is such a good guy. One, one of the fascinating things about Multiverbers Chemical, because we'll move on f- from them now, but one of the, th- the threads that kind of intercedes, if you will, with it is that you did videos. Now, a lot of, a lot of bands were doing videos of the way they were shits. They were videos of them just playing live. But Multipurpose Chemical would, would do a video, and it was always, um, it, it seemed like, the, I remember seeing the first video, and I was like, that's a cut above. Like, it looked a certain way, and it was good. It was actually good. And you were right. in it playing various roles, and, and, and Andreas was in it playing various roles and stuff. And there was, like, a level of comedy as well. So there was all this kind of, like, acting and comedy and filming thing all kind of meeting there as well and that seemed like it was another strand that you kind of went with as well so you kind of left mpc and you're kind of in manchester you know dealing with a few things moving moving on to the next stage of your life what happens then 
Um, wow, yeah. I mean, that's the kind of the catalyst for the change, really. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, so okay, so video-wise, we, we have a friend. I have got a, very, a, a, a good old, uh, an old friend of mine called G. We call him G. And he did all the video diary stuff for Mike's Peppers Chemical. He made the videos for NPC and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. So he's so at that point he's living up in Liverpool with us, yeah. um, filming stuff. And the weird thing is he's still there. Everyone else yeah. has left. He's the only <laughs> one there. And funnily enough, weirdly enough, now I'm working in films. Yeah. He's about to start coming working. He's about to start coming to work with us. Oh, love it! Yeah. So it's weird. So it all comes. It's all. It all comes back together. Um, but at that point, like when I left Multipurpose Chemical and went on to the next thing. It was kind of weird, man. Like I, I got to the point where I was just a bit disillusioned with being up north. I think, I, mm. like I couldn't, I couldn't quite settle into a job. I couldn't quite find a job that was gonna mm. give me money and the band thing. I was too obsessed with the idea of just being like a rock star, you know, teenage dreams. Yeah, yeah. And so, without, without any, yeah, teenage dreams, man. I, I just was a bit like. I'm going to do this thing. I'm not going to get a job. And then this thing's going to hit big. And of course, looking back, if now me, 40 year old me went back, I'd be like, listen, man, <laughs> you your twenties were like, I don't give a shit about income. As long as I can afford, you know, to drink cheap cider and, you know, yeah. Yeah. sleep in a ditch, who gives a shit? Um, so at that point, it kind of went a bit sour, really. I sort of, I lost myself slightly. Mm. And uh, I made some bad choices, not just for myself, but for the band. And then I just walked. I, I the I just kind of I just kind of had to walk away. I had to. Mm. I, yeah. I just thought it wasn't like I didn't fucking kill anybody, but I yeah. was just like I got to the point where I was just like I'm not good for the situation, and the situation's not good for me. Yeah. So just kind of walked away, really. Which was in hindsight, I should have just dealt with it like a an adult but i wasn't you know if you if you hadn't dealt with it you know history's littered and we all have those friends that didn't do anything about that situation and are still probably in it where they never kind of moved on and never dealt with something in a mature way you know well my big thing my big my big my big i was really really happy that npc managed to carry on i was gonna say limp on but actually they didn't limp on they actually thrived they got another yeah. guitarist called um adam I'd, I'd never met the guy, I don't know him, but they, yeah. they put together another recording, which sounded really cool, like somebody sent it to me, um, and I was just like, this is cool, I was really, I was really pleased, you know, yeah. like, I didn't, I didn't go away wishing bad things for anybody, I just, I went away just needing, needing yeah. to just re press the reset button, I just, mm. by that point, I was just like, I'm done, uh, which then led to comedy, basically, I went, yeah. I got, back, I got back to London, and I was like, okay now what like now what do i do yeah because uh, it was it was like somebody cut the umbilical cord to yeah. everything i was doing for like the last almost 10 years i guess yeah well not and actually no like seven years and then yeah. i was just like now what man now yeah. what like back in london so that's kind of like the the jumping in point to doing kind of comedy that's really tough because what, what people what people maybe like you've never been in bands before realize is that there's a there's a detritus to be in a band there's a flotsam and jetsam if you will of of things that go on you have to be at a band practice this time you get a gig here so it kind of keeps your life going 
and it's so there's always something you can do with a band you know there's always something that's going on you know, two or three days of the week you're doing something with a band when that stops and you are on your own and much like when a, an artist goes solo or something like that that's a big gut check because now it's like it's it's on you now you know and and the temptation must have been to go i'm just going to jump in with another band again so i've got that regularity again to move into another thing and in this case comedy that's a pretty and for someone in their 20s that's a pretty big move like so was you were always you know even in multi-purpose there was like i said with the videos there was an element of comedy and stuff like that even the live shows was as well what was what was the catalyst for comedy then where did that come from well i mean like i say before i studied i studied performing arts Mm. um when i was at uni when i was like you know 18 to 21 or whatever it was yeah and uh, and i it was like it was interesting to me but i also fucking hated it it right. was just like the, the, the <laughs> you know like the biggest fucking waste of time yeah, like ever, yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. and so my friend matt i met my my, my best who was the best man at my wedding da, 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 mm. this guy called matt who i now work with in film mm. we were friends you know for the for the best part of 22 years or something yeah. So I met him there, and then he went off to do something else. I went to do the band thing, but like our our love was always to do comedy, like stand up sketches, yes. whatever. Which is you know p- part of the reason that the NPC videos worked. But I, so I, I always I, I, I by that point we, we'd been to Edinburgh Festival. I went to Edinburgh Festival when I was like eighteen. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So it, it, it had been a while, and you know, and then I yeah that was kind of just the. I don't know, man. I think there, I think there was a craving there for it always, which is kind of why NPC was so entertaining. Andreas and I always had a yeah. want to entertain and do the comedy thing. So coming back to London, Matt was already kind of filming stuff, and then we started filming sketches, and it was there was no real conscious effort. I don't think it was just yeah. like, a, okay, I'm doing comedy now, and that was it. That, at that time, um, and for people who are listening uh, not from, from from this country is that that was quite a, a big time for, like, sketch-based comedy and stand-up was really, really coming to a fore around that time. There was some great stuff going on. You know, Edinburgh Fringe is always busy, but it was particularly a lot of the stars that now have established careers and movie careers and shows and TV shows started at the Edinburgh Fringe around those times. You know, um, I would, a couple of days ago, I was watching, like, a young Frankie Boyle and stuff like that, yeah. and these people now are, are established and... This was at a time when you would go and see uh, a comedian doing a set and then he would be on uh, a TV show doing a, a, a diluted version of themselves in some cases. And, yeah. and that was them getting over and they, they would be given specials. So it was quite a, you know, it was a very quite fertile time then. So did you start with stand-up? Did you do, was it sketch-based stuff? Were you doing it live or what was going on? I mean, we did so much stuff, man. I guess like... Yeah, sketch. I mean, we were sketch at the time, really, yeah. uh, Matt and I. And then I guess I went off and did, at some point, went off and did some sort of stand-up shows and then ended up later on. Funny you mentioned Frankie Ball because I did, I, I, I did a lot of stuff in Glasgow with a guy called the Reverend Obadiah Steppenwolf, who's an amazing Glaswegian comic called Jim Muir, who does yeah. this, like, um, like uh, sort of evangelical U.S. preacher. Yeah, it's like yeah, like televangelist stuff, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I did shows with him, and it was really raucous, man. Like, I didn't really start enjoying anything to do with stand up until I went to Scotland and went, "Oh, you can say whatever you want up here." Yeah, <laughs> like, okay, yeah. You know, this is great. Um, 
and they take it at face value. So I don't know. The answer, the quest, the answer to the question is kind of, kind of sketches for a while. Yeah. At that, and then you must have, you must have definitely seen the parallels that people always draw with rock and roll and comedy. You must have seen that with the live show and the, the improvisational nature of it, and and in some cases, in, especially uh, at the at the fringe, the the kind of chaoticness of it. You know, uh, that wild sort of side of it. There's an enormous amount of parallels. That's why, like, you know, a lot of stand-up comedians love their rock and roll and vice versa. There's, there's, there's similar energies in the room. There's similar energies to a good stand-up show. It has a very similar energy to a good rock show. It's very similar. Um, and you find a lot, uh, especially, like I say, when, you, when you're doing sketch-based stuff that's kind of edgy, uh, uh, you know, and challenging uh, uh, as well. So... Did you find yourself clicking immediately with that, or was that a similar thing where you kind of got, I found my where what I'm doing, my voice quickly, or did it take a little bit longer? Well, it's weird, man. I mean, like the thing is, you're right about it having a similar energy. Although when you're in a, I think I think part of doing stand up at the time, or or doing comedy, should I say, was really about sort of like admonishing myself a little bit right. and being like, you know, because stand up's like flogging yourself. It's like it's really weird, like you like to get laughed at but you also have to take some sort of joy in not being laughed at you have to take right. some sort of like lesson from people giving you a really hard time and the hardest yeah. time in stand up is when people just don't laugh at you you know yeah. like yeah. in a band you can kind of make enough noise to cover it don't like this song the next song you will like yeah 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 uh, either that man or just like no one turns up or it all goes to shit and regardless you go back to a hotel with your four friends and you drink yeah. Stand up is not, not like that, man. Stand up is yeah. not like stand up is like the last train home. You're on your own. You've just been in a room of like a hundred people who didn't laugh at one fucking thing you said, mm. and the silence is like somebody cutting you open with machete. Every, like, every stand up comedian I've, I know, and I, I know quite a few now on the circuit, and 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 some pretty pretty sort of you know credible ones now are really becoming famous. I I, I was when like one of my friends. Um, put up a stand-up show and it's it's fabulous and when i talked to him about it and said oh yeah i was really good he goes oh yeah the, the night before they were bombed and he was and it was only the shows where they bombed that they were like that that's the only shows that i learned anything from they, they learned to they, uh, deconstruct the, the wonderful thing about comedy is also the worst thing about it is that you can have a set that you think is bomb proof that you think's perfect but because the room changes one joke or one beat won't land like if you're in a band you go, okay, here's the set of 15 songs. We'll play the hits. There's the singles. There's the, the crowd sing-along bits. And you can kind of almost put it together. You can yeah, do that yeah. comedy. Go out, perform that set, and it bomb. And at the other place, it goes down a storm and you kill it. And I, and that's such a that's such a tightrope. I don't think I could walk doing comedy. It's too much of a tightrope. But I think, I think you just have to have a... If you've got like that self-destruct... If there's a little self-destructive demon in you somewhere, yeah. you take some sort of like not pleasure i guess but just like a kind of like if you can handle the kind of you know if you can handle the silence if you can handle if you can handle people going what the, what the fuck are you talking about yeah. then you can kind of just get on with it man and actually yeah. mpc i think was a good a good marker for that you know sometimes we'd play a show and andreas and i would be chatting away and the songs go down well but then people just go you talk too much in the middle of songs and you're like well it's part of it man it's part of it yeah. Take yeah. it or leave. You might not like it, but and that's kind of sets you up for comedy. It's like you might not like what I'm doing, but somebody will, and you just have to find yeah. that audience. 
Just keep hey, going. You just, got, you just got to find that find that audience. That's it. So when so with you're doing comedy and you're kind of doing some sort of bits and pieces. When does the um, TV sort of thing come in as well? Because it starts to bleed over into TV work, right? Yeah, it bleeds into like spots on TV, like bits and pieces yeah. here and there. Mm. Some presenting stuff, some kind of more sketchy stuff. Um, yeah, and at this point, it's kind of bleeding into the next band, really. So, like, we're sort of... It's weird with comedy. It's like you can't really get a perspective on how much you do. Like, mm. I feel like at one point we were really prolific. But yeah. to somebody else, you know, I don't know. It's weird. It's a weird... That's another weird time, really. At this point, I'm living in London, sort of... I was working for a, a porn company um, yes. in, uh, in, in Camden called Bang Media, obviously. <laughs> and uh, and we, were, we you know, it's like one of those TV channels where, like, you have the girls on the beds and you right, can call them. The phones and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a weird time. So I was kind of doing that and doing some comedy and then starting a new band. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of blends into one, really. Uh, why, why, what, what, what was the impetus to, to, to start the band then? When did you go, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back to doing some musical stuff here? And was this, was this what became Lim? Yeah, 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 this is Lim. So Lim started right. in like, I left MPC in about two, two, like halfway through 2007. Mm-hmm. And then Lim started in like 2000. I want to say late 2010. And were you always was was there always the kind of lineup being that you would sing and just sing with with Lim? I looked for bands that wanted guitar player for ages, but it just wasn't like in London. It's London, man. It's like really (laughs) tricky. Yeah. Um, So eventually, I was like, you know, like Doom was the thing. Everyone started playing Doom, and I'd always loved that music anyway. So I was like, yeah, cool. and then actually the vocals that I used to do as the backing vocals for NPC actually yeah. probably lent, lent itself more to kind of doing the Doom stuff. So yeah. at that point I was like, I can do, I can do vocals. Like I can, I can go and do vocals. Mm. Um, yeah. So away I went to kind of do that. It was kind of organic. You know, I just saw a thing, just saw an advert, joined the guys to see what was going down. And it just kind of, it was a match, you know. Yeah. Uh, and in between sort of doing comedy stuff, I was kind of seeing how the band went, but it was organic. It wasn't like a kind of, yeah. you know, I'll get back in this. I'll show Lim, those fuck. Lim very, very much felt like that, even from the first sort of things that I was hearing that you, you, you'd put out there. And I was like, this feels very, um, very creative and very, like you say, organic. This felt like everybody that was in there was just playing and seeing where it went. Um, and that must have been an enormous freedom from what you'd probably remembered of the, the last thing of doing an album and, and kind of, this is what we're going to do. And then a, a company comes in and goes, this is what we're going to do. You go and do something like Lim, where it was like, well, we're going to do something a lot freer. Was it a party that were like, you know, um, needed to do that, to move on as a person, to kind of go and do something else, but musically, so you could still play music and enjoy it, if you will. Was there a party that needed to do that? I think so, man. I think so. Also, just start a new project where I didn't, I didn't have any fucking like, you know, childish demons hanging over me. Yeah, you, you were, you were a different person when you joined Lim than when yeah, you, when you yeah. start easily, you know. And like in our twenties, we look back and we just like, you know, your twenties is a MySpace profile you don't want to log into. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. That's how I look at my twenties, man. It's just like. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. My 20s is sitting there somewhere. I just have to type a password in to have a look at it. And I'm, 
You know? let's, yeah, let's forget the password. Yeah, yeah. So Not, when you started doing doing Lim, how quickly did it go from playing, you know, an audition and what have you to, to doing that live? Like, how quickly was that? Pretty quick, man. I think it was just like a couple of months, you know? Like, the guy, the guys in Lim uh, were so good at what they, you know, like, yeah, they're yeah. not even... Hadn't even particularly been in anything else that was like of, of note, I don't think. Mm. Um, I think Pat was in a band called Shut Your Eyes and You Burst Into Flames. They play with <laughs> bands like Dukun and stuff like that, you know. Wow, yeah. Um, so we all came from, yeah, together from very different places and it made mm. something really interesting. And initially we started out and everyone was kind of, the bands we were into were like Weed Eater and Goat Snake and stuff like that. And sleep and stuff like that, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It just became like not that. It it very quickly became like, mm. oh, okay, we're doing something different, man. Like, you know, a bit more killing jokey kind of sort of sound. Yeah, um, yeah. And it was cool. It was just like it was nice. It was nice yeah. to not and, and and the great thing about it was it felt like the early NPC days where it's like we're not trying to actually do anything here. We're yeah. just trying to, we're just trying to be a unit and actually kind of mm. create something. And that was really, really cool. It was a really cool vibe. Do you remember going out on, on the first show purely as a vocalist? Do you remember walking out and thinking, I haven't got a guitar now, I'm, I'm, I'm now I'm a vocalist, so it's a different set of muscles. I, I, I've got all the stuff where I was performing, but now it's this. Was, it, was that a moment? Weird not having a lump of wood in front of you, but it's also just like, it's quite freeing as well, you know? Yeah. And like, yeah. I remember the first, the first bunch of shows I played with those guys. And they still they still joke about it today, and I still probably do a little bit of it. But the first bunch of shows, those guys, I was doing the NPC thing and being like blah 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 blah, blah you know, chatting away. Yeah, and yeah, just, yeah. Because they hadn't seen it in the rehearsal room. They're mm. like, "What are you doing? Like, what are you doing? What's that?" <laughs> and I'm there just chatting, you know, absolute bollocks. <laughs> and they're like, "Okay, cool. I guess this is what we signed up for." So yeah. you know. Well, what? Then what Listen, man, are you? Can we? I've got two percent. I need to ch- plug this thing in. Have at it. Go on, like, go on, go on. Have I'll at it. Yeah. Seconds. It's okay. It's okay. Groups <laughs> in line. Thirty seconds. <laughs> so the wonderful thing that happens with Lim then is that a lot of people uh, who hear it now and it gets really well received and almost like I don't want to say critically well received, but a lot of people very early on really became a fan of you. You know, it really starts to do well quite quickly, didn't it? Well, yeah, man. I mean, like, I think, I think the thing about Lim is it was, you know, Doom is a really weird genre, mm. as you know. Mm. And I think it's really important to remember that, like, you know, there was a really big boom for it. There was, there was actually two big booms for it. There's one in the late 90s yeah. where you had bands like Goat Snake, Orange Goblin, bad like that. And there was a really, really big boom when we started about sort of two, you know, like between 2008 and probably 2018 was like a yeah. really big boom for it. Yeah. However, by, by its nature, by its nature, it's a very laborious sounding genre. Mm. Like that's mm. what, that's what it is. Yeah. So when we came along, it was kind of interesting, man, because I think we just, we just hit upon something that was slightly different and I think people were sort of already looking for it by the time we were there. A mm. um, guitarist, Pat, plays kind of like, I guess almost like sort of weirdly Joy Division-y kind of guitars, especially a bit mm. later on. At first, it was like single string, like old school retro doom kind of stuff. Yeah. But 
we never went down the path of just doing like electric we weren't an electric wizard cover yeah. band yeah really. yeah around the time a lot of people kind of were so um so yeah kind of people people jumped on board man it was like it was kind of it was kind of cool you know you must like i say what for me it seemed like i could see certainly with the first stuff that i was hearing you could see that it was someone who'd kind of figured out what you wanted to do it must have felt felt like i think i'm i think i know what i'm doing now i think i'm in a a good space with this it felt like someone who was uh, comfortable for one of a better we never had comfort in doom do you? but it felt like you were really starting to come into the, the artist that you wanted to be like did you did you from a, a writing point of view did you do a lot of the writing of the lyrics or what was it what was the kind of the makeup of how you you put the songs out there if that makes sense um i mean at first i was terrible at writing at first i remember just being like my lyrics were so generic you know like <laughs> witchy wizardy warlock yeah, you know, yeah. like sad, whatever Mm. And then eventually you just kind of find your, you know, you find your sort of little, little, little way of writing stuff. And, mm. you know, I get, we'd get the riffs in, you know, I think doom is very much like a guitar based, guitar yeah. based yeah. Yeah. Um, genre. And then you just kind of, you know, you put your lyrics to that. Um, it was kind of a weird process really, because Jodie, who was our original drummer, she was a really cool drummer. Mm. But, um, I'm sure she won't mind me saying, uh, it was slightly limited, you know, like she had, she was great at like smashing it out, but mm. she, she didn't have much finesse, let's say. Mm. And then um, we got Tom in. So the drummer we've got now, he was in um, Uncle Acid and the Deadbeats. Yeah. So he did an album with them and then uh, didn't, uh, you know, just kind of for one reason or another, I think they just had another drummer in mind from the start. So I think he was only in it for a bit. We kind of got him, and the second he came in, it just opened up. It just opened up to something a bit more, more just, you know, exciting than the kind of three chord doom thing. Mm. It very quickly seemed like it was moving forward. You know, even from the the first stuff that you write, even then, it was moving forward qu quite quickly. You know, you do EPs and stuff, and you do little bits and pieces, but it seemed like it was moving forward a lot quicker. Like some bands would go whole album cycles before they would start to look at changing their stuff you were already moving forward it seemed pretty pretty quickly and that comes from two parts the way i see it, it comes from a confidence in in your ability to to do what you're doing and uh, as a musician but also the open-mindedness it felt like um i think the bill i seen you on you were the only doom band i think the other bands were kind of like sounded like minor threat and there was a and it and it was interesting that you were, you were still kind of um pushing ideas which i thought was fabulous so at, at this point you're still are you still working within the film and tv thing at the same time as Lim, or does that come in a little bit later absolutely well uh i kind of was slowly getting into it so mm. when i started with Lim, what was i doing when i started Lim, i was kind of just doing comedy and working in a porn company like i said yeah yeah, yeah. really weird um, and then I was like, I'm done with this. It was the grossest job. It was so gross. Yeah. So weird. It was amazing for about two weeks. Yeah. I went in, I started the porn car. So I had Lynn and I'd go in and be like, oh, you, this is mental. You yeah. know, saying to my mate, like, oh, uh, the crazy thing is everyone's got their tits out, you know, and like you, he'd just yeah. like, you should come and 
it was just weird it was a weird job uh so doing that and i kind of went on to just work a load of just kind of weird little jobs worked as a printer and stuff like that but i hadn't really found myself i wasn't really like oh this is me this is perfect this is incredible so at that point matt who was my friend from i told you about from uh from uni yeah he was he was working his cameraman he was we were doing sketches together and he had gone off to do some sort of you know more film stuff mm. and then he came to me and said oh you know we should start doing like um we should start doing conferences together like just working at conferences i was like okay cool so i'll do stills he'd film it i'll do a bit of sound and all this kind of stuff mm. and then yeah it just kind of grew from there really so limb i guess yeah the first chunk of limb i was just kind of working little jobs and mostly doing the band yeah. And now we've got the point where I work pretty much constantly in film and TV. Yeah. Um, and Lim just kind of fits in. Like the cool thing yeah. is, you know, it's next year is like 10 years of Lim. Is it this year or next year? I can't remember. That's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, it's nearly 10 years of Lim. So mm. it's kind of just, it's a beast unto itself. And the nice thing is when you get to that point, you don't have to be playing like all the gigs God sends. You can kind of pick and choose a bit. So yeah. It's kind of it, it's good that it kind of happened when it happened so that i can kind of fit in limb mm. at work vice versa around what what which each one is doing it sounds like you've got a really good work-life balance as they say you know that you know you're not a slave to any particular thing and and you're still enjoying what you're doing you know, you're enjoying certainly working within television you're you're enjoying you know now you know you've gone from Direct being an an extra, if you will, in a corner shop for for hate magnet video, to being like you know working on major productions, you know, and it's probably testaments, ladies and gentlemen, it's probably testament to to Rob's Rob's very self depreciating and will put himself down at every at the option and and uh, for, on every facet, but in reality, he works really really hard. Is you must have took a lot of stuff uh, to go to like the level of doing a Hollywood production. Or a large budget thing that can only come from someone who's, who who truly enjoys what they're doing you know truly enjoys the whole scene of it like you know it's interesting man i think you're right i think i think the thing about doing i think the thing about all the things i've done and it's the same with you you know you do loads of different stuff you know how it is yeah, yeah. um it, it's it's one of those things it knocks I think you have to have, I think one, one thing that young people don't have, yo, the one thing that young people don't have, I think the one thing that young people don't have today that we did is like, they have no desire to have the edges knocked off them. I think like social media and that stuff, yeah. it's yeah. like your face is out there and you don't want to, you don't want, you know, you mm. don't, you don't want your confidence knocked. Uh, yeah. well, it's like in the day because there wasn't social media and stuff you didn't have to constantly present yourself in a certain way right mm-hmm. so like now I think the age we are I think we were lucky to live through that where it was like yeah. you could just jump you could just jump out there and do something no mm-hmm. one's like you're you, you know your your next gig or your next picture or you pulling a funny face isn't going to appear on you know in the public eye the next day in any way mm. So you could you could kind of jump out and just be a bit adventurous and have the edges knocked off you without worrying that it was going to like affect your kind of social standing in some way. Yeah, you, know? you, you, you were you were almost like searching for mistakes. You were almost searching for the edges of the map 
rather than being worried about falling off it, you know? You absolutely should, and you should continue searching for that. And if you if that's not what you're striving for, I just I just think you're going to end up having some weird social anxieties that I can't, mm. you know. I just I just don't get it, man. I just all don't those, get it. All I those always... successful people that have met uh, or, or worked with, all the the common thing, the common two things that they share is once they finish the day job, they go home and work on the thing that they love. And also, they actively actively seek out the things that make them uncomfortable. Or the minute they think, well, I'm, I'm stepping out and I'm going to be treading water for a bit, they seek those things out almost actively. They go, okay, well, I don't know how to do this. I'm going to really embrace that. And I don't know how to do this. And we've, we've possibly lost some of that because everybody's slightest move or tweet or picture or video or whatever is completely, you know, ripped apart and, and, and analyzed to the nth degree. And people sometimes go, okay, I, I maybe won't do that. I won't do that stand-up show because I'm not a stand-up comedian. And then if I do it wrong, it's going to be around the internet before we know it. And the actual the fallacy of that is that um, no one cares. Just yeah, so you know, yeah. no one cares, do they? They, they, they? Ladies and gentlemen, no one cares about you at this stage if you fuck up. You don't do, Once you've made your name and you're a household name, they'll probably care then. Your video of your, your set the bombs or your band playing shit or, or whatever it may be, will be remembered for a, a brief nanosecond, and then they'll be on to something else. You are free to do whatever you want. To say, to say maybe the opposite is true, man. I think if you if you if you bear all and show some fucking humility, yeah, then 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 not only will people see your progression, but they might they might end up just going, you know, that guy. Is in, in 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 today's terms is inspiring. He didn't give yeah. a shit. That's yeah. why I didn't yeah. give a shit. Great. Right. Yeah. Well, well that's the that's the other side of it as well, which I constantly talk, tell people about is that you know, especially the people I talk to, like yourself, that maybe don't realize and maybe they do that there are people out there watching what you're doing and going, you know what? If Rob can do that, if Coop can do that, I can fucking do that, and that's incredibly important. I remember. Uh, Rob's far too cool to do an awful lot of social media now. That's how you know he's cool. But the way he does, he put a picture up of one of his projects he was working with, and he was standing next to Arnold Schwarzenegger and another one where he's sitting with Linda Hamilton. And the ripples that that sent through some of my friends in the local local sort of area were just like, what's Rob Howie doing? How's Rob Howie doing that? And I was totally unsurprised. I was like, I know why that's happened. And I, I can tell you how... The movements that led up to him being involved with successful people is because he's he's fearless. He is fearless. We were going to call this show the exoneration of Rob Howey, but now we might call it the fearless Rob Howey. But it's true. People do look at people from around their community and see how they've been successful. Well, I think you, I think you roll through your life in various ways, man. And I think, I think, like I was saying before about having the edges knocked off you. You know, I think self-deprecating behaviour is basically born of being British in a certain way. Oh yeah. But it also is born. It's born of being born in a certain time, right? So like, yeah. fearless is kind of a weird. Fearless is kind of a weird thing because like, Matt, who, who's the guy I work with, and I. We kind of built a reputation of being slightly fearless, of being able to walk to, walk up to an A-list celebrity, of being yeah. to you know able to walk up to a producer, a director, whoever it might be on set, and actually just just being like casual, right? Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. the only way. It's the only way to work like that. And mm. the thing is, I think being in a band's great because you know you kind of 
you, you know, when I was young, we got to meet people that you thought were aspirational, you know, yeah. well, they are aspirational people who are yeah. aspirational. For example, good, 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 um, good knocking the edges off me story is I met uh, jazz Coleman from killing joke. Right. Yeah. I love Killing joke. One of my favorite bands, yeah. real inspiration to me. proper massive inspiration. I think they are underrated and I think they should be heralded as, you know, yeah. huge, huge musicians. Anyway, they're endorsing the same bassist guitars as us. And Jim, I think it was Jim Andreas and I from Multipurpose Chemical. Maybe yeah. Mel was there. I can't remember. We went to see them at, um, in Manchester. And, I, and I, I saw Jazz Coleman. And I just went through up to him and took his hat off his head. And went, <laughs> nice hat. And he grabbed me by the collars like I was yes. a little kid. And held me against the wall and was like, oh, what are you doing? And I was like, oh. Uh, and then he went, go, go and get me, go and buy me a pint of Guinness now. <laughs> you got off okay. lightly? <laughs> anyway, I saw him in Budapest not so long ago. My drummer Tom came out to Budapest <laughs> and they were there. And I was chatting to some, I was ch- later on in the evening, I was chatting to somebody yeah. um, about them. Uh, and he was, he, we, you know, we were just chatting away. And I was like, oh, you know, I did this thing happened. Da, 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 da. And he went, do you know what's really weird about that? And I went, what? And he went, that happened to somebody about three days ago. Like somebody, a young guy, about three yeah, days ago. Exactly the same and thing. It, and it just made me go, life is just one continual. Like young guys do dumb shit. You get the edges knocked off you. You take that in as a lesson. And you just, as, as long as you're learning from it and rolling with it. Yeah. And I just thought, God, that's still like the pattern. The pattern it's, is there. It's, it's timeless. Yeah, it's a human. That's the human condition. Almost. There's two. There's two sorts of strands to it. it there's the first strand, was, which is, um, you know, you should be fearless and realize that you know you should do as you feel and try and what you think's right, what you think's funny or appropriate. You should do these things to the best of what you think is the right thing. But also know that you're not the most important person in the world. Um, you, you, you know, dissolve the ego and realize that some, and there's always going to be someone more famous than you are. There's always going to be, and it's like, once you realize that and almost demystify fame and demystify the whole sort of thing and realize that they're just, I, I often say with the famous people that I've worked with, they are simply just people with an extraordinary job. And one of the biggest tells, especially when you're working with, with celebrities and stuff is how the people around them are and how those people around them are will often define how that celebrity is. They'll be uncomfortable, they'll be comfortable or whatever. And that all comes born from, like you say, you tested the limits. You found that that's where the limit was with that. You know, you're okay, I'll change how I am around various people. And then fast forward to whatever, and you're around someone particularly famous, and you go, okay, and I, I know who I am now. I'm comfortable, and, and now they're comfortable as well. A lot of the people that, yeah. you know, uh, will, will go on film sets and stuff, they have people who help them, who, who kind of act as a buffer, because you're right, the, the human condition is an endless cycle of this, of where people are trying to find out who they are. And someone like, say, Arnold Schwarzenegger hasn't got the time to necessarily deal with every single person making the same mistake, coming up to him <laughs> and giving him Terminator quotes, you know. But it's, it's, it's a weird thing, isn't it, when you say it still goes on, it still happens, that, you know, maybe it's part of, of growing up and, and, and maturing as a, as a human being that you have to, like you say, get the edges knocked off you. It's about it's about using those things. It's about using those things in the right way. You know, it's about using those things in the right way, man. You you just have to analyze 
analyze your behavior, analyze where it took you, and then analyze how how you use that behavior in it to, to a more constructive end, you know? And like I was talking about earlier with NPC, like if I could go back and apologize to people, I probably <laughs> would, but I probably would. But at the same time, it's like, that's brought me to where I am and where I am. I'm in a good yeah. place, man. And it's like, I just, yeah, you have to fuck up. I think you have to fuck up and you have to look at those fuck ups yeah, and turn yeah. it into, turn it into a positive and sometimes it takes a long time to realize what that is man but it's mm. it's really it's such an important life lesson to be able to fuck up and i think yeah. social media is so horrible for instantly just magnifying your fuck ups mm. and people instantly demonizing you for your fuck ups so okay. for example and for example dragging your fuck ups up let's look at like um uh you know, pe- people that get pulled up for, from for their tweets from 20 years ago. Yeah. You know, it's like, when are we going to allow people to have fucked up? When mm. is that going to be a thing again? Mm. You know? It's crazy. I remember talking to, uh, you... I remember talking to a gentleman and he was, uh, he just turned 70. One of my friends, man, he's just turned 70. And and trying to get that life knowledge from us. We always do, you know, what's the secret of life, that type of thing. And he was like, I'm a different person now at 70 odd than I was when I was 60 or 50. I'm a different person. It's 10 years. It's 10 years. But we don't necessarily allow for that, do we? Don't allow. Someone's tweets or Facebook, whatever's, or whatever they've done when they're 15 or 16, and then you, you pull them again at like 40 or 50. They're different people. I mean, completely different people. It's really tough. And like you say, it, it means that now everybody's watching absolutely everything they say, you know, Comedy at the moment's getting a, a difficult rap now because everybody's revisiting yeah. old comedy from the seventies or early eighties and going, well, okay, we're, we're being revisionist about it. We're going to take stuff off. And and you think if you told that person at that time that that's what was going to happen, that the thing you're doing now is going to be, uh, you know, completely deconstructed. That some people might have not have even done that. And it's an interesting world from that perspective. Well, the weird thing is, man, we live we live in a time where we live in a time, <laughs> and this is really fucking weird, man. We live in a time where we demonise the person who did the thing, which yeah. is kind of fun. So, like, mm-hmm. you know, if somebody was in blackface from like thirty years ago or something, okay, by today's standards, it's not right. Fine, let's accept yes. that as fact. Yeah. The weird thing is, people are calling performers in the thing to apologize when the performers are not the distributors right so you get these mm. like multi-conglomerate channels that are showing these things that have mm. bought the rights to show it who aren't yeah. apologizing yeah. but demanding the actors apologize and you're like mm. you're the one showing it like when yeah, you you're, you're the enabler you're in backing this, this thing up till last week and now yeah. you're like no, no, no they just fucking apologize and you're like you're the motherfucker showing it yeah. so there's these big faceless fucking there's these big faceless you know, giants who, who want everyone to apologize. But, but the fact of the matter is they're, they're the ones who are still showing it. They're the ones backing it. So again, it's like, it's not okay for you to forget about your mistakes anymore, which, which seems fucking foreign to me. That seems yeah. so well, weird. It, it means that you're less likely, you're less likely to, in one way, learn from those mistakes and learn some humility and learn, you know, some responsibleness about how you should be as a human being. Instead, you're meant to be fully formed at 10, 12, 13 years of age. You're meant to be a fully formed adult that completely understands themselves. No one's like that. No one's like that. Yeah, that's it, man. 
yeah flaws flaws everyone's flaws are being exploited yeah. and um people's flaws come and go man for better or worse but the second you start probing people constantly and and you know trying to trying to make people admonish themselves constantly for all the little fucking things they do and say it's like it's dangerous territory man it's dangerous yeah. territory yeah there's yeah. songs over it there's songs over it there's songs we wrote with npc mm. I, I listen back to now and it's like questionable <laughs> fucking lyrics you know yeah. um yeah. you know yes uh, what, what, what was our big song? one of our songs was um no to u.s occupation no to saddam yes to islam yeah. you know and like there are certain there are certain things about that, that i would still stand by there are certain things that you know in a passage of time that's you know it's quite a controversial statement these days if somebody mm. asked me to apologize for a joke or a song i'd written would i of course i fucking wouldn't no i never yeah. apologize for mm. my youthful take on rebellion like no one's, <laughs> no one's doing that like it's so stupid it, 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 yeah there's there's a there's a strange there's a strange frisson moving through comedy moving through music and politics it seems to be you know which is largely there's some very good stuff but there's also some some some, some strangeness as well so where where are we with Lim then what's the next things for Lim then right now so we're kind of writing slowly i mean one of us is having a baby um uh, sam the bass player is on his way to having his, his first kid um <clears throat> And we're all, I mean, I'm in, I'm working, I'm working away a lot, obviously, like, so over the last few years, I've been in Budapest for like nearly a year. And then I've just been doing loads of stuff. Um, so I'm kind of working remotely, but we're kind of writing like lockdown has been kind of good. I've, I've yeah. got a setup going. We're putting what, ideas what, what can you talk about from a, a film and TV thing? What, what are you working on that you can talk about or you, 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 you it's in the calendar and done and ready to go. <laughs> probably can't talk a lot about the thing i'm doing at the moment because it's still going yeah but uh i guess before that so i did um ter- like what, a couple of years ago i guess now terminator dark fate yeah yeah which is really interesting that was cool man if you want to know about arnie he's like lovely guy <laughs> such a nice dude yeah. such a nice guy linda hamilton is one of the nicest people like she's yeah. so lovely and that whole yeah. process was incredible. And that was my, you know, that was my first, that was my first big film. That was the first. Sure. That was a know, studio, first big studio picture, yeah. First big studio thing. And it was just incredible, man. Like, to jump straight into something like that was just next level. Yeah. Um, but it was cool. Like, it was sink or swim, mm-hmm. you know, and we hammered it, man. And that's, I get to... That's, I get that's, to, that's very Rob Howie, that, though. That's that. The minute you, you, you told me that was what you'd being involved in, I was like... That's very Rob. That's a very thing to do where it's like, yes, it is almost a quantum jump into something, but it it's it makes sense. What's the, the thread that's been running through this entire show is that you know Rob Howie takes chances occasionally and sometimes, you know, it pays off and sometimes it doesn't, but he's you're constantly looking for so I was I was totally unsurprised when you said, I'm working on this, and I was like, that's that's incredible. But I wasn't surprised because you're always it seems to be you're always seeking that 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 moment of learning that like i want to i want to know what the next thing is and what the next mountain looks like you know i just think if you jump into life with both feet you know and you and you just treat it um with respect you know the opportunity with respect and you try your hardest like what's the worst fucking thing that's going to happen man the worst thing that's going to happen is it doesn't work out for you and you move on to the next thing but the second you start not trying to do something interesting i mean i don't know where you are if, if i would love to be i would lo- one of my biggest loves 
But one of my biggest, um, I'd love to tick off my bucket list and say, I'd love to be content, you know? Mm. I'm not really a very content kind of person. I'm always yeah. bouncing around and, you know. Yeah. Um, and so it's weird, it's weird working in the film industry. People, you know, it's like, oh, my God, you're doing something so amazing. Mm. You're like, well, I am doing something amazing, and it's an incredible opportunity. And, like, when Matt, Matt gave me this opportunity, it was just, like, next level, man, to, to yeah. sort of move to something else. But at the same time, it's like people often say, oh, God, you've got a dream job. And it's like, well, kind of. You'd probably hate it, though. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. You, when, you're, when you're halfway up a mountain in the freezing cold, <laughs> filming, like, for, for, you know, ten, from, like, 10 at night till 6 in the morning because Arnie's got to do some night shoots. You're freezing yeah. your ass off. He does, like, three minutes of action, and you're up there for 10 hours. Yeah. Uh, I kind of lost my train there. But, yeah, it's, 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 a weird, it's, it's a weird sort of thing to jump into. However, yeah, I think... I think sometimes blindly just taking a jump into things man and also as well like also not being not being scared to not being scared to take i think a lot of people like have a mental cv right mm. which doesn't ju- doesn't do justice to them i think mm. cvs like in, in terms of you know what do you want to do man well i'd like to do this well you can do that you know if you if you feel like you have the know-how to go and do something or the if, if you feel like you could jump in there with both feet and basically blag it for a little bit until you get there, if you have the basic understanding, like, go for it. Yeah. I think, I think, I think we, we are brought up on, you know, you need to go to university, you need to write X, Y, and Z on your CV, you need to have A at master. Well, that's bullshit, man. I just don't believe it. I've never believed in that. I always believe it's about saying, I am here, this is what I'm fucking capable of, I know that, um, give me a chance and keep, just keep chipping away until someone gives you that chance and then prove yourself when you're there. You know, um, I think that's really important band, you know, in, in terms of the comedy, the band, all, all those things really are, are, are sort of sink or swim. I was never particularly academic, even though I got to go to uni and do yeah. performing arts, but it was, a, it was, um, it was a course that <laughs> like, in, it's a course that gave me, it was a course that gave me confidence, but no, yeah, you know, some doors. Yeah. 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 Listen, we're nearly up to like an hour and a half, and and we haven't touched on anything that I really want to. Get, I I really want to talk about. But I mean, listen, if we're exonerating Rob Howie, if we're, if we're putting him up, if this is the trial, it's now the trial of Rob Howie. We've I've decided. To call. I think I think I think most people would agree. What what a what a fantastic guest, and 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 a lot of what Rob says there's an an, an enormous amount of truth to it. I would you know this has been a lot of fun. Me and me and Rob will come off this and still probably keep talking. And we'll definitely, I think, ladies and gentlemen, we'll definitely get uh, Rob on again. But fantastic, the fabulous Captain Rob Howie, amazing. Thanks for appearing on the show. The fantastic Rob Howie, there. Great conversation. I hope you enjoyed. I hope you laughed. I hope I entertained you. But I hope you got the the deeper thing about trying stuff and being positive and working hard and following the things that you want to do and challenging yourself, which is the underlying theme of a, a lot of the, the the shows that I do. Thanks again for everybody that listens. Thanks again to everybody that sends comments and really positive messages and suggests guests, just things we should talk about, and generally just says I'm doing I'm I'm doing something right, which is nice to hear. I, I'm hopefully this is entertaining. Hopefully it passes any time of day, and you're in work or you're on the way to work or you're bored or whatever it may be during the lockdown, anything like that. If this gives you any moments of like an hour or so of kind of you can take your mind off what's going on, then I'm very very grateful it does that for you. 
As always, share this with people you think will enjoy it on pages or social media you, you think you would like to like to people to to hear it on. Um, YouTube is something that I'm putting all the episodes on slowly but surely. It takes a bit of a beat. That might be whatever kind of social media you listen to on. Please share that and, and, and suggest it to people you think may enjoy it too. It's, just, it's really as simple as that. Um, thanks for listening. And once again, I'll see you at the show.